0: Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. Okay, why is it easier to pretend than to be honest? Someone asks you a question, hey, have you seen this movie? And you just pretend, like you watched that series on Netflix, but you haven't. In our culture, uh, in our society, it seems like we love putting on shows. However small they might be, um, those mini theaters that we speak to others tend to be um, revealing more about the human condition than we realize. I used to be an actor, if you didn't know that. I studied theater most of my life. I knew from a very early age that I wanted to be an actor, and I studied um, method acting, and I went to school for it, and I transferred, and still thought I was going to f- act until I felt called into ministry, and I love theater. I love theater. I love studying for parts. I love getting into um, character and, and developing a whole psychoanalysis of the character I created it, but there was one character in particular that was the most challenging for me, um, and in Shakespeare's Othello, I got to play um, Honest Iago. Iago was a very fascinating character because he was a tormented soul. He uh, lived his life in hiding. Everyone called him Honest Iago. Everyone thought he was their best friend. Yet what you find out in Shakespeare's Othello, that he was the one plotting the demise of his friends behind their backs. At one point Iago breaks the fourth wall and he says I am not what I am. The fourth wall is the audience. He he he's he's talking about his friends and he breaks the fourth wall and he be, he begins to talk to the audience and he he in Shakespeare's language he Shakespeare makes a nod to Exodus chapter 3 verse 14 where Yahweh reveals himself to Moses and says I am what I am. Iago is the antithesis of Yahweh in that moment. This character who pretends not to be, pretends to be someone he really isn't. We find out at some point Iago's love was betrayed. His love was betrayed. And so he decides out of his wound to deceive people. And the fruit of his wound is the Shakespeare play Othello. When you are wounded. And when you live in a culture of performance, self-focus, image, celebrating kind of culture, if you will, it's easier to pretend than have the courage to say simply, I am not who I say I am. What I've seen over the last 15 plus years of vocational full-time ministry in the church in the U.S. is that the church, for whatever reason, produces great actors. The church produces both great older brothers, if you will, from the prodigal son story, and great pretenders, men and women who pretend to be someone they really aren't. For some reason, the culture within the American church trains Christians to put on a show and play their part. But Jesus makes it clear in the Sermon on the Mount. In the kingdom of God, the masks come off which would be really great right now, right? L.A. County. Go there. I will. I don't... It's frustrating. I'm just going to say that. It's frustrating. I appreciate your resilience in these frustrating times to be people who model integrity through humility, even when you disagree, to honor your brothers and sisters and honor the government, even if they're not being honorable. Whatever you want to say, I appreciate your integrity and in joining us this Sunday with a mask on. Thank you. But in the kingdom of God, not your literal mask, the metaphorical mask, if you will, that we're all wearing has to come off. Because performance doesn't count for anything in the kingdom. Your deeds done to be noticed for the approval of others has No reward. Actually, it does have a reward, which we'll get to. Yet, that reward isn't big enough. Jesus confronts doing the right things for the wrong reasons. His desire is for you to become the kind of person motivated and animated by the Father's love. We live, therefore, for an audience of one, In the kingdom of God, what Jesus wants to show you and train you to understand is that your motivations matter. Your intentions matter because your heart matters to God. Are you with me? So Matthew 6, we're picking up in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, um, I did it again. Bill finished last week. (laughs) In Matthew chapter 5. We start in chapter 6, this, in the continuation in the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 1, let's read this together. I'm going to read it and you pull out your phones or your Bible and, and let's read this together. It says this, be careful, this is Jesus continuing in the Sermon on the Mount, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of other people, in front of others to be seen by them, he says. If you do, you will, not, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. There's a lot of confusion about this text, and we're going to break it down again. So we're just going to go verse by verse a bit, and we'll land with some practices on how we can uh, move away from living in the tyranny of approval of others. Living for the validation of man. So the first begins with a warning. Jesus says, be careful, so warning, do not practice your righteousness In front of others. Now, this word righteous is confusing because scholars debate the meaning of the word righteous. Some scholars translate the word righteous to mean good works. Do not practice your good works. It literally translates to good works. Others refer to righteousness, the, the characteristic of God in rightness, justice. Now, what we will define this as based on what most scholars say is it has something to do with right relationships. Righteousness has something to do with right relationships. Your right relationship with God, first and foremost. Don't practice what comes out of your right relationship with God. Your right relationship with others. And scholars will go on to argue that it also, in this particular context, is referring to your right relationship with the needy, with the poor, the marginalized, those suffering injustice. Righteousness has something to do with our right relationship with those living in the margins of society. How are we doing, church? It's for this reason that scholars will translate the word righteous to good works. So, what is Jesus saying in this verse? Well, let's begin by what he's not saying, okay? Because this is where we get confused. First of all, he's not saying, don't do good works. Protestants love, ever since the Reformation, love to emphasize The freedom that we have in grace, that we're saved not by works, but by grace. And that is true. But what we've done is we've wiped out all sorts of scriptures that invite you, now that you have been saved, to live out and work out your life with deeds. Not deeds for God. Deeds for your brothers and sisters on behalf of God. Right? So Jesus isn't saying don't do good works. Notice that the, the line later will say when you give to the needy. It's not if you give to the needy. As disciples of Jesus, the question is not if. It's when you give to the needy. When you go about doing your life, you're going to do do works. You're going to do good works. Just to clarify, good works are good in the kingdom of God. You good? He's not saying if you do do good works, hide them. This is another confusing thing that I see Christians do. A lot of people read this and they're, so it's be careful not to practice your your righteousness in front of others. So we stop right there and we just, we never want to be seen by others. But remember, The Sermon on the Mount is in a broader, longer context, a bigger context. If we rewind rewind a couple of verses later, what we see is that Jesus says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works. They may see your good works and do what? You guys read the Sermon? Glorify your Father who is in heaven. Okay, I'm glad I'm the one reading scripture this week. The key line, you're welcome. I got you, Kevin. I think that was you, Kevin. Remember, uh, the key line is to glorify the Father, not yourself. So the litmus test in good works happening in public is, who is this glorifying? The Father? Or am I putting on a show? Am I putting on a show? He is, uh, so what is he saying? He's saying, when you do good works, don't do them to show off. This is the teaching. This is that simple of a teaching that the, the key line is, this, is the motivation is to be seen by others. In, one translation is in order to be noticed. Now in the Greek, there's a Greek word and it's where we get the word theater. So it could be literally translated uh, to, be, uh, to put on a show for others or to put on theater for others. What is Jesus doing? He's getting at the motivation of your heart. Why you are doing things in the first place, for Jesus, right behavior isn't enough. We need the right heart posture, the right motivation, the right intentions. We need to be motivated, animated by the love of God. Jesus, in other words, what he's getting after, and he's going he's to use three examples. He's going to talk about giving to the needy. He's going to talk about prayer and he's going to talk about fasting in the next few verses. Um, Over the next couple weeks, we'll talk about both. And what Jesus is after is he's trying to transform your intentions. He wants to transform your inner world, your motivation from within. Jesus is after your heart because that is the center of your being. I was talking to a friend yesterday who's filming a documentary, and he was filming uh, the story of this couple, and this man and woman were married, and the man... Uh, had no example of what it meant to be a loving husband. And for him, he, was, uh, he thought his primary task was simply to provide financially. And so when you deal with the brokenness and the validation of, of a person's soul, he, he thought his primary task was to pr- provide financially for his wife, so he worked hard. He was going after the money in his career. Meanwhile, while he was doing that, his wife thought, she I'm being neglected. He doesn't love me. Here he is trying to love distortedly or with distortion his wife through provision. And she, she doesn't receive it as love. She receives it as rejection. So they begin to distance themselves in their relationship to the point where he's off on a business trip and has a one-night stand affair. She wakes; she, she knows it and calls him and says, are you with someone? And, 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 and sure enough, that comes out. He comes home. They separate. And, and, and all of a sudden, all of the motivations, the heart, the things underneath the things are coming out towards each other. And what's, what's heartbreaking is this woman's telling her story, and she says, I didn't want to divorce him because of what he did. I wanted to divorce him because he, he didn't fight for me. It wasn't the act. It was the heart that was gone. Now, full circle, redemption. They just sell. He was out there filming their 20-year uh, anniversary, where they chose to get remarried after all this time. Their relationship has been completely restored. Those wounds are now entry points for redemption and forgiveness and healing for other people. As they teach people how to redeem marriages that were broken and lost, the worst kind. But I think it's a fascinating story that her her connection is what Jesus is after. It's not just the acts; those do matter. Behavior matters, but it's the heart he's after. Are you with me, church? It's not just the the heart towards the bad things. It's the heart towards the good things as well. And this is where the teachings of morality and ethics of Jesus, there's nothing like it in history. It's so dynamic that for 2,000 years, we've added technology. We've added information. We've added wisdom and how the world works and science and in every other field, you could say, except ethics, morality, and philosophy, we still can't beat the teachings of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount. It's almost as if they're divine. So Jesus comes to give you life, not just to reorder your outer world, but to transform your inner world. And what our All forms of religion tend to do, or spirituality, is give us a temptation to to perform the right things without the right reasons. So the question we ask ourselves is, why am I doing what I'm doing? What is the motivation? And I want to tell you that Jesus wants to transform not just the behaviors. He wants to heal the inner wounds that have created this actor inside of you. He desires for your heart to be set free and transformed by it, your love, not to get really good at spiritual practices and disciplines. He wants to transform the inner life so you naturally do what he would do without having to think about it. This is what he's after. I was walking in, on Saturday uh, in Cleveland trying to find breakfast and good coffee. Um, and there was i found a bunch of spots which was great but i was walking and there was a homeless man walking in the middle of the road yelling at the top of his lungs and i'm used to the homelessness that we have and it's getting worse i've i've noticed i don't know if you've noticed since covid it's gotten a lot worse in our city and what i hear is like oh it's disgusting we're going to be like san francisco and i'm like not on our watch I don't know about you, but the the Christian narrative continues to be, this state is going down fast. We should move to Idaho and Montana and escape. And I'm saying, no, Christians, this is where we we go out into the world with the light. It's on our watch. Are we going to hold down and hide in another state? Or are we going to go out and do the things of Jesus and transform culture in our lifetime? And there is this man, he was walking and, and he was screaming, and I could tell you he, he wasn't fully there mentally, but then he, he literally locked eyes. And he says, you're not from here. I'm like, no, I'm from Long Beach. And he came and he's, I don't know if he was, like, trying to get warm off of the beam of my tan skin at that moment. This is as tan as I get, brothers and sisters. This is, this is months of, no, I'm just kidding. Um, these lights don't help. But anyways, uh, we start walking. We spend half an hour together. I get in breakfast. We start talking. I'm just asking him questions, and he tells me that from 12, 12 years old, he got addicted to uh, various drugs. 16, he got addicted to uh, crack cocaine because it was the most accessible, and it was the cheapest and gave him the biggest, longest-lasting high. I mean, he'd been, He had been homeless since he was 16. He was 44 years old. And he didn't know I was a pastor until the very end, and I gave him a hug, and, and we talked a little bit. I invited him to church, but he didn't end up coming. But he said this line that has now haunted my soul, because I feel like we're guilty. Hey, don't mind the noise. That's my little four-year-old. He didn't want to go to kids' ministry, and his, my, mom, my mom, my wife, is out of town. So he's up here enjoying church, and I said he could do whatever he wants. Um, so he says to me, I know Jesus. And I went to church, but when I couldn't change my behavior, they judged me for it. They couldn't heal my pain, but they judged me for my behavior. He said they couldn't heal my pain, and when I couldn't change my behavior, they judged me for it. And I was heartbroken because I thought, man, if he came here, would we be able to, to invite him to be healed of his pain? Would we be able to hold space for someone with such struggle, we were able to be a part of his redemption story? And to be honest, we're too religious. We are, we complain about everything. We, we grumble about everything kids ministry is not good enough this isn't good enough this isn't good enough the message went too long worship wasn't the sound quality wasn't good they keep asking about these things and i just realized that if we want to be the kind of church that jesus dreams about we got to get good at healing the pain of the world We can't pretend we can't pretend Jesus will lay out three different um, practices that were the common practices in most rabbinic traditions. What they had as like the primary practices, uh, like we have going to church, reading the Bible in prayer. They had giving to the needy, um, prayer, and fasting. Those were the three spiritual practices of his day. And he, he warns his followers to, about religious hypo- hypocrisy. Don't get sucked into religious hypocrisy. Verse 2, he says So, when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. So, the word give to the needy is a really important word that I need you to highlight. I need you to post it. I need you to write it down on your phone and put it in notes so you don't forget it because this is a really important uh, word that you need to understand. The phrase "give to the needy" is a slippery translation in English because the Greek is a better translation is alms giving. Okay. Alms giving is, is what maybe King James translates it to be. But it's not just giving money in the Semitic uh, literature. It has way more to do with something else. It's not just giving your tithes and offerings to Garden Church. It's not just putting cash that you have for those who are in need in the bucket so people that need groceries can take cash this week because that's the kind of church we're going to be. Amen, brothers and sisters? It's not just signing up to serve at the rescue mission or going to New Life beginnings and hanging out with families and providing food it's not just uh, uh serving on the uh, on the streets and cleaning up and doing beach cleanups it's not just going to franklin and tutoring after schools it's not just those things it's giving your time your energy your money and relationships that's what almsgiving is translated to it's a the, the a better definition is social justice Social justice in the Hebrew spirituality was central. If you read the Old Testament, it's practically on every single page. You cannot get away from getting sucked into the gravitational field of the Father's heart for the poor. And when I say social justice, let me clarify. Because I already know we have been trained by a political ideology that is idolatry to think about these terms from a political lens. And we need to get rid of that. And let me give you the biblical lens, if you will. So if we're talking about justice and righteousness according to the scriptures, what we see is that the law ensured that the poor, the marginalized, people without power, people that were oppressed in society would be cared for by those with power and resource in society, those who have access and privileges and resources extend those things to those with less. It's not called social justice in the Old Testament. It's called biblical spirituality. Let me go one step further. Righteousness is the same word as almsgiving in the scriptures. In the Hebrew spirituality, righteousness and almsgiving is the same exact word so to be righteous was to give to the needy and to give to the needy was to be righteous to have right relationship with God and other people are you with me church are we awake oh I, I get it I get it you think oh Darren you're 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 drinking in the liberal left propaganda no I'm reading the scriptures And I'm so tired of being labeled by social media for when I post something that is clearly scripture and you think with a political narrative with scripture, that is not biblical exegesis, brothers and sisters. That is ideological idolatry and we need to rid it out of the church, online and in person. We need to hold space for for these conversations that make us uncomfortable. Jesus is confronting Hypocrites in his day. And let me just say this: the word hypocrite is the first time it's used in, in, in uh, that we know of at the time period that Jesus says it. So when Jesus uses this word, um, hypocrite, he's he's using this word, this phrase, and he'll use it 17 times in the New Testament. It was like he invented this word, it was a Jesus-ism, if you will. Now, It would have been heard but never used in that context for the religious. So you have to imagine the mindset of the first century Jewish person or Gentile listening to Jesus. They would have connected what he was saying when he said the word hypocrite. uh, Because it it meant something else. So uh, at the time of Jesus, where he grew up, he lived near Sepphoris. Right? This this area uh, that was a Roman city with a gigantic city made of of stone. And Jesus, it says in the Gospels, was a tecton, which we translate to carpenter. But most scholars say that's a terrible translation. Jesus was most likely a construction worker. Okay, so let that do something to your mind. And a lot of scholars believe that Jesus grew up as a stonemason working in the city of Sepphoris, building theaters, where we get the word hypocrite. And the word hypocrite has to do with acting it has to do with those who played a role it was used by uh for for a person that was on stage performing and so jesus calls out a religious hypocrisy it's not an atheist it's not a deconstructionist it's the messiah himself who begins to confront religious hypocrisy how cool is that we don't have to say, oh, let's talk about the hypocrisy of the, religion, of the Christian church. Jesus is the first one to confront it with a warning. Don't announce it with trumpets. Don't let everyone know what you're doing. Now, when he's, he's referring to this idea of trumpets, nobody really blew a horn or a trumpet when they gave money. That wasn't a thing. But when you would pass the bucket in the synagogue, you passed a ram's horn, which was a shafar, and you would throw coins in, and it would rattle and make noise. So he's playing with this imagery of how the religious folks gave their resources in a communal setting, acting as though there's somebody who they really aren't. Are you with me, church? You see, hypocrisy in the church is a death blow to the witness in the world, which is why we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, Ananias and Sapphira was so severe, right? If you weren't here, because I think I talked about it on July 4th, so about a, a quarter of you were here. I know some of you. I, I'm not calling out individuals. Susie, I know you, you, were, you were trying to get a ride and you couldn't get one. I got you. Um, <laughs> hey, so Anna and Sapphira, they see someone give all the money from a field and, they, and put it at the apostles' feet. They sell a field and give some of the money, but say it's all of the money. And Peter says, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? And immediately Ananias dies, and then Sapphira dies, and then the ushers come and bury him. Um, and the whole point of the story is not a tithing story. It's a story of hypocrisy within the church. The church cannot be a place where people say one thing and do another. We can't put on a, put on a show while our hearts are judging bitter gossiping to others behind other people's back. That's what Jesus is after, your heart being made pure. Does anyone here want a pure heart? Does anyone anyone want That heart, when I talked about the husband and wife, does anyone here want to to not have to think hard about being the husband they dream of, but they're they're motivated from the inside out to be that kind of person naturally? Does anyone else want that? Does anyone else want to not have to struggle with patience when their kids don't listen? But that's just the thing that comes out of them when you've told them 15 times to brush their teeth. It's not anger and resentment towards a four year old, it's simply love and patience like Jesus. Does anyone, maybe that's a little too specific. Time is it? It's 11. Okay, we're doing good. So um, Jesus was the first to call out the religious hypocrisy. And Jesus is saying in, uh, at the end of verse 2, he says, As the hypocrites do in the synagogue and on the streets to be honored by... Others. What he's getting at is the heart posture. He's saying, Don't, when you give to the needy, but you do it for the approval or the disapproval of others, it's okay, but that's all you get. Now, notice this. This is so important. What he's saying uh, is that your reward is all you get, all you get is the approval and the accolades of your peers. Which, in other words, he's saying is setting your your eyes or your sights way too low. If all you want is the approval of man, well, okay, that's fine. And he's not saying, guys, this is so interesting. He's not saying, um, as we follow Jesus. Um, let me just get to my notes because I'm missing a part. Sorry. He's not saying... Uh, what he's saying is when, when you follow Jesus, what, what he wants to do is get you to the place where you're motivated by the right things. And he says, to, he says to us, if if all you want is the applause and the accolades of others, then you're setting your sights on too low. You're setting your sights too low. And then he goes to the positive in verse 3 and 4. He says this. He says, but when you give to the needy, Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be done in secret. When your Father who sees what is done in secret, you will be rewarded. So now he gives you a positive statement. He's saying as you follow Jesus and as you grow and mature to become the kind of person who naturally does what Jesus would do without having to think about it, there will be rewards from the Father in heaven. Dallas Willard says this, the kind of people who have been so transformed by their daily walk with God that good deeds naturally flow from their character are precisely the kind of people whose left hand would not notice what their right hand is doing. As for example, when you're driving one's car or speaking one's native language, what they do, uh, they do naturally, often automatically, simply because of what they are persuasively, uh, what they they because of what they are per- pervasively internally. They are people who do not have to insist a lot of reflection in doing good for others their deeds are in secret no matter who is watching for they are absorbed absorbed in love of god and of those around them they hardly notice their own deed and rarely remember it and this is what's fascinating jesus is saying the right motivation for giving to the needy or any kind of work is to get a reward from the father in heaven he says to give to the needy because if you do The Father father will notice and he will reward you. And that's the right motivation. In other words, when when we live our lives for the approval of others, we limit what we are able to receive. Jesus wants to train us to recognize that the motivation for more and greater reward is when we live for that audience of one when we choose, when we we learn to have right motivations and right intentions, what Jesus is actually saying is that you get a greater reward. Now just think about it. He's not dismissing it and saying, don't do that because your hypocrisy leads people away from the church. He's saying, no, you're aiming too low. Yes, that happens. But the, the bigger thing is what you can receive from the Father. Are you with me? It's like he's, he's touching on something. He's touching on something that I often think we miss. He's touching on a healthy desire to be noticed. Right? A healthy desire. And, and maybe you don't think you, you have within you, in the human condition, a desire to be noticed. Maybe you don't think that. But everything in our society and culture is wired towards that longing in your heart to be known and loved by the Father in heaven. If you have kids, it's very easy to see that what they want is your attention, your validation. My four-year-old won't eat anything without saying, hey, Daddy, look. (laughs) Cool, buddy. Let me finish what I'm doing. Hey, Daddy, look. Literally like four or five times, he'll do it. Right, Amos? Yes. (laughs) Yes. What is that longing for a child to desire he desires the father's approval it's built into the human condition and what we've done is we've displaced that desire that that satisfaction that can come from the father because we haven't been trained to receive it from him through the holy spirit by the way instead we get filled we fill that hunger with everything else in our life think about what you're feeling that whole with, that hunger with. Let's just talk about the approval of others because that's a good one because Jesus names it. Think about what social media does for a moment. We post images for the sake of likes or words on Twitter for the sake for the sake of retweets. We can literally evaluate somebody's social status based on the number of likes and followers they have. What is that doing to the human person? I mean, and, and think about what we do on social media. We post our highlight reels. We, we're, we're a selfie to get the likes we desire for the experience we just had. Now I know that's not why we're doing. We just want to tell you know, show people what we're doing, but that's exactly what it feels like, right? It feels good to get a lot of likes or comments. It feels bad when we don't or we get criticized for it. Am I right? And I'm just, We can spend hours on social media. Literally, you go out of here and you got to ask yourself, are you being formed by the, and animated by the love of the Father or the love of man? Because we have a devotion, don't we? A devotional life to the approval of man as we scroll and post and like, and compare. You know, in Jesus' day, you only had the synagogue and the market, and then you had your family. You didn't have an entire online world that you lived in 24-7 where you can compare your good deeds and perform your good deeds at 12.30 a.m. at night as you sit watching a show, posting to the world the things from the past so that when you wake up, you can be filled with the love of man. Maybe that's just me. But we do this everywhere. We do it at work. We do it with our friendships. We do it everywhere. We live for the approval of others. And this longing for approval can only be um, satisfied in right relationship with God. And Jesus wants to transform your motivations In Othello, Iago pretends to be someone he's not because it was easier for him to pretend than to simply expose himself and say, I'm not who I really am. A jealous friend, an angry friend, a wounded soul. We live in a moment where it's easy for us to project an image to the world that is simply an exaggeration of some truth, where we can act in front of the world and receive the approval as we sit alone in our rooms at night. We can post that picture and it can be retweeted and, it can, and we can compare ourselves to others in a million different ways, all to say we live under the tyranny of the approval of, or disapproval of others, and Jesus wants you to be free. He wants his disciples to be free from the approval of man and live and be motivated and animated by the love of the Father. How are you doing with that? How are you doing How then, if you're like me, trapped by the tyranny of looking good in front of others, how do we break free from that tyranny of living to look good? How do we break free and transform the inner world and to be motivated? How do we learn to be motivated for the right reasons? In Jesus' teaching, there is a simple practice that I want to present to you from this text. There's a lot of ways, and if you've been here, you know that transformation is a process. We've talked about this. You have to learn to replace false teachings or false narratives with true biblical teachings. You need to move away from unintentional habits to spiritual disciplines. You need to move away from just casual relationships to intentional, godly, covenanted community. You need to move from being influenced by society and culture and your environment to being influenced by the Holy Spirit. Over a long period of time, you will be transformed into Christ-likeness. Are you with me, church? But how do we move from the approval of others onto being motivated by the Father's love with this particular place, with this idea that we are called to do good works? Jesus simply says, when you give to the needy. So I want, may I present to you a simple challenge or experiment for the next week or the next month, if you will. I want to invite you, challenge you to practice almsgiving intentionally, in secret. I want you, as a a disciple, to take out your phone and think about what are ways in the next month you can be intentional with reorienting your life towards righteousness, right relationship with God and right relationships with others, especially those who are in need and then do it. I want you to do a Jesus-y thing this week or in the next month, and then tell me how it goes. That's it. You're like, well, that's it. That's all I'm asking you to do, is to do something out of being now challenged to have a right right inner heart that reflects Jesus in the world around you. So, for example, some of you don't tithe 10%. May I invite you to tithe 10%? Tithe 10%. Or 15%. I put that in there. Or 15%. <laughs> For the month of August, because maybe you've been faithfully tithing, I want to challenge you to see, don't tell anyone, don't tell me, receive a reward from the Father. This isn't a name and claiming. This isn't a prosperity gospel. What happens if we take Jesus' words seriously? What if you did something And you did it to please the Father with your stuff in such a way that you did receive a reward in heaven. And remember, heaven is not what happens when you die. It's here and now. In this moment, heaven is wanting to invade earth and bring life to you where you are. This is the kind of reality Jesus comes to teach. So we're not talking about a gold, uh, an extra ruby in the crown that we get in the, the mansion in heaven. No, of course not. That's not what Jesus teaches He's talking about right now. So maybe it's buying somebody a meal. Maybe it's buying someone gas. Maybe it's buying someone coffee. Maybe it's serving some. Maybe this month you commit to serving at the rescue mission. You commit, I'm going I'm to go and visit. There are, you, I, I don't need to make a list. You're a Christian. You should know where the needy are because that's where Jesus is. Give something away that you really like. Sign up to serve in secret and don't tell anywhere. Oh, I did that twice. Sorry. Um, I also have on mine I added to tip 30%. I love this one. I love tipping generously to those working in the service industry, especially after the last year they had. It's 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 great to be known. It's great to know somebody who's generous, isn't it? Like this last week, I experienced the generosity of this church I visited and I got home and they sent my kids, I was gone for four days, they sent my kids a package full of toys and goodies with a letter that said, thank you so much for sharing your daddy this week." And I know it cost you something. We just wanted to say thank you. How rad is that? I won't stop talking about that church because they were so generous to my family. And that's what happens. People won't stop talking about you behind your back in the right ways when you live generously towards others. So I want to invite you, church, to... Move away from being Iago and step into being free. But I want to say, it starts right now. I want you to do this practice, but it starts by you confessing, I am not who I really am, but I want to be who you've created me to be. Is there anyone here that love has been betrayed, whose heart has been wounded, whose father never validated and affirmed you and you've spent your last the last life trying to seek the approval of others anyone here needing to do the things you do you do it out of a performance mentality that you're trying to earn your way to the father's love but all you have to do is turn around and receive it thank you for listening for more information please visit garden.church